Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Paula Walters, who is a certified master life coach, a paramedic of 19 years, a former firefighter, and she is also a survivor of child abuse, domestic violence, strangulation, traumatic brain injury, and sexual assault. Since 2015, she has also served as the president of her nonprofit, Standing Courageous. We have so much to talk about, Paula. So let's jump right into this and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for being here. So before we dive into your professional background, can you give us a picture of where you grew up and some of the experiences that have impacted you and influenced you today? I grew up in a very rural town in Northwest Ohio. It was basically a school that people consider the rich people to go to. And um, up to eighth grade, I went to a parochial school. I was Lutheran. And then, you know, in high school, switched over to regular public high school. And I'm so glad now that I had the roots of my faith for me, because I didn't realize it back then. And it was basically the seeds being planted, which changed my life as an adult. And so, you know, my childhood, when I look back at it, um, it was like every other, I thought I was like every other person, like every other child. And as an, I didn't realize till well into my late thirties, what baggage I gathered Mm -hmm. from childhood and that I became a hurt person that was hurting other people because of my childhood. And so I made, was making a lot of other people pay for mistakes that from my childhood that had nothing to do with it. And that was a big realization in, in having that faith part of my childhood is probably where I've been able to turn bad into good because, you know, there's always purpose. And I know that a lot of people don't like that, but I've been able to use those experiences to come alongside other people now and be able to see the good in people and that, you know, that all of us have light in us. Sometimes other people just have more shadows. Mm. Well, that's a brilliant way of putting it. So mm-hmm. tell us, since you had that foundation, that, that spiritual foundation, tell us how you've used that or apply that to your life to help you come through some of the difficulty that you've experienced, such as child abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assault. How do you work through that every day? I'll tell you my, my identity from childhood, my, my dad was, I was a pudgy child and, um, I was constantly told about, you know, men don't want bigger women and that nobody, you know, no sports events will want someone who's bigger and like that stuff wired me to, to believe and own that I was worthless, that I was ugly, that I was fat. I mean, I was routinely called Porky instead of Paula by my dad. And so as I 
grew up, I basically like found value in any guy that would give me attention. And even bad attention was better than no attention at all, because even if it was bad, it was proving my dad wrong. And so as I grew up, I had this very, this woman that came into my life who taught me, you know, kind of brought me back to God. And I realized that my identity should not be, you know, found in what people said who I was. And I had to see myself as, you know, that, that there is so much to me, that there's beauty from the ashes and that, that all that bad stuff can be used for good to help other people. And, you know, the world comes at me a lot, even now, as I share my story. Um, and I, and I just have to stand firm in that who I am and whose I am, you know, I don't have to, it's not my job to make everybody else like me. And I, the first person I have to, to like is myself that I need, I need me to like me. Yeah. And, and that's what I had. That's what I have to battle with. I'm work really working on rewiring by telling myself every morning, I start every morning and I end every evening with three affirmations. And I try to, if I catch myself doing a negative, replace it with the positive. And because, you know, I I've learned that what fires together wires together. So mm. if I'm putting, you know, positive, positive affirmations on myself, then I'm going to rewire that. And so I start seeing myself better. And, um, that's, but that's been huge in, um, basically becoming friends with myself. Yeah. And that's hard because that, I, that you know, blame myself from a lot of the stuff from childhood and I, I can't take ownership of that, but I have to own who I am now. Mm. And I don't get to make people pay for that. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit how from childhood you made that transformation because as you said, you've been exposed to a lot. You've had a lot going on in your life. How did you come to that realization that Paula needs to work on herself? Paula to be able to function in a healthy way needs to like herself. How did you do that? When did you come to that epiphany or that, or was it just something that developed over time for you? It was this moment. And I share the picture sometimes on my social media where I was on a bathroom floor and I had just took in a lethal dose of Ambien and a friend of mine couldn't get a hold of me. And he ended up coming over and he laid me in his lap. And he, so he was a, he's a paramedic. He was a paramedic. He has since passed and just kept, basically kept me alive. They, they gave me some medicines and and stuff. And he kept repeating a Bible verse to me and I slept for almost 18 hours. I mean, I puked all over him and stuff. And when I came to, he said, you know, he made me look in the mirror and he goes, you, this is not who you are. This is not what God created you to be. And he goes, don't you dare let Satan win. And, you know, he told me, he goes, I wish you could see me through your eyes. And I wish that you could see you through God's eyes. And it was like that. And then in the same 
two weeks, I had a bunch of friends come alongside and say like, you are so unhealthy and toxic. We love you, but we have to separate ourselves from you. And they did, they left those boundaries there and they basically kind of helped push me to rock bottom. And then I was like, I, I can't be this person anymore because I'll tell you what, I was very lonely and I realized like, okay, the common denominator is me. Like it's, it's me. I, I mean, the, all the people closest to me have said, you're toxic, you know, you're unhealthy. You need to fix you. And that's where I started having this journey. And I, I found myself, you know, I lost a bet and found myself in church. I mean, all these things happened within, you know, two or three months. Wow. And, um, the first time I stepped back into a church, it said, you are not a prisoner to your past and you, there is purpose in your pain. Yeah. Well, obviously somebody sent you an angel on the day that you needed it. Yes. Right? And yes. so that's pretty amazing. And that's, if you believe in signs, that was definitely a sign to, to wake yeah. up and you yeah. woke up from that. You literally and physically, you know, uh, woke up mm-hmm. and, I'm sure this is work every day. This is being woke every day, so to speak. I had a woman on a different episode and she is a sex addict. And she said, every day I wake up and it's work every day. She said, I have to be in gratitude every day and step into that. I'm part of a meeting. I'm part of this. And we each have our own process. Mm-hmm. And I like that you've told us about that process and what that looks like for you, because once you have that, that kind of awakening, then it's your responsibility to go forward and figure out now, how do I function with this awakening? What do I do with myself? Because now you're not pointing the finger outward. You're pointing the finger inward and saying, okay, I need to do the work. Yep. Because you did get exposed to a lot, such as the violence and the the assault. How do you, with those, those particular areas of your life, how do you deal with that? Because honestly, those leave impressions on your body, Mm -hmm. on your brain. And I see that as you talk about this, you're doing that rewiring. You're doing that remapping. I call it remapping. And so that's really, to me, that's so important, but yet a lot of people, um, many times who are exposed to child abuse, domestic violence, traumatic brain injury, it is hard. Where do you, do you find your support system still in that spiritual venue or in other areas as well? Do other people out there, do you have a network of support? How do you move forward every day? I do. I th- I think that one of the biggest things um, that that helps me is to realize that I can't just park in my faith. Like I have to be around people that, that believe in other things because I need to be challenged. It's kind of that part of that mapping. And it's really easy to stay hidden in my little church groups and with my church people and, and to be able to say the things that I say. I've learned for me that one of the the biggest parts is being around people who realize and accept that I'm not healing is not a destination. It's a journey. So I love being around 
Um, I, I mean, I have a lot of people that have absolutely no faith in God. They believe in other things or nothing at all. And as long as we each understand that each survivor, no matter what you're overcoming, has the right to heal in their own way by their own path and that our paths can't look alike. And it's, that's one of those things where I love coming beside people and be like, Hey, you know, um, try the, here's a book or here's this person to follow and, or, you know, try this or try that and in bouncing off each other. I, I love that. Cause I, and I, I've learned that negativity is contagious. And so is positivity. So I like being around goal oriented people. Like, you know, a big group of us just sat down and did our one year goal, five years goals and 10 years goals. I've been doing that since 2015 and we hold each other accountable. And so being able to have those people. So yes, I, I, I still hold my faith part, but also I think I'm just like being beside other survivors and giving each other encouragement because there's a lot of people out there who will come along inside and say, don't do that. That's not the way you do that. Or you know, oh, you look fine, especially with a brain injury mm. or people mm. that say like, you, you, how can you forgive him? I have to forgive my dad. I'm not my, he's dead. I ha I had to let it go because I'm not hurting him. I'm, I'm, hold, I'm hurting me. Right. And so forgiveness, you know, whether you want to say forgiveness or, or however you want to call it, I can't keep being mad because then the only person I'm hurting is me. And then I hurt other people. Yeah. That is so true. And I love that you said you can't stay hidden within inside a group. And you're probably one of the first people to bring that up on this show. And I think that's so important because you're absolutely right. Sometimes when we get in the, in these groups, it's easy to stay there because mm -hmm. it's another comfortable space. But what you've done is utilize that space for something that is really healthy and helps you in your process. But then you've also gone out into the world and created a different type of network where you're building those relationships. I don't just stop at network, but it's definitely building relationships, right. Yep. And connections yep. where you're, you're holding each other accountable, where you can speak to these people and connect with these people on a different level, which Gets me to my next question. Tell us a bit about your nonprofit, Standing Courageous, because I'm sure that brings a lot of folks to your organization where they want to connect and build those relationships. Tell us about that. I started Standing Courageous with a prosecutor, a police officer, nurses, and, and we have this group of people because if if the frontline people do not understand the psychology and stuff behind domestic violence and child abuse and those types of things, then, then who can, like, th those are the people who we're reaching out to. And as a paramedic, we would go to the same house six or seven times. And I've literally heard people that I work with say, she must like it you know, well, she stayed the first four or five times. So she's kind of, you know, at this point she's getting what she deserves. And, and I've heard all these things and I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And when you, there's this study out there, um, that would talk about how many first responders are abusers themselves, or they get abused. And so it was like, I'm going to use my story. I opened my medical chart up for everybody to see like my therapy sessions 
and everything, um, my medical chart, the criminal side of things so that people can understand, like, I didn't just all of a sudden decide at 32 years old to become a domestic violence victim. I got wired that that was normal from my childhood. I wasn't intentionally trying to lie to people, but that's what I was taught. I, I, I saw my mom do it to make excuses and to, to lie. And it was normal. And so that maybe first responders need to take a little bit more time and nurses need to take more time and look beneath what we see that there's a root. I, I, when I go speak, we talk about this, this weed and we all know that out of the top of this weed is domestic violence, addictions, um, you know, all these different parts, but if we don't deal with the root, we know that the weed grows back. Well, often the root is child abuse. And so when we, when people unpack that, then, you know, whether it's the abuser or the, the victim, they both have a root and you have to address that. So I open up that case and we talk about that a lot. Um, one of the detectives that does is a, is a, um, huge advocate for understanding the psychology. So we, everybody knows what domestic violence is and what child abuse is, but we need to understand why you can't right. fix the, you can't fix it until you understand why. So it's even remapping us and how we see victims and abusers. Mm, that is so important and so valuable because community and humans are humans, right? And so mm -hmm. we are out here with a big pool of people where many of them stat show have been sexually or physically abused. And so those people are the doctors, are the attorneys, are the social workers, are the first responders. Those are some of those people. Yep. And so if they haven't done one, their own healing, that anger can mask certain things can get in the way. They haven't really looked at their own route, so to speak. Yeah. So I love what you're doing in relation to educating and getting to the root mm -hmm. and this organization that you have stood up and what standing courageous stands for. So how do you go out knowing you've got this entity, you've created and constructed standing courageous. How do you reach people? We have mostly done stuff just in Northwest Ohio. Okay. Over the last year and a half, I have become a trainer for the state and actually going with in, in speaking and training my own uh, training program that I made in invisible injuries mm. and how it's impacting our children. And I do that for the state of Ohio. And so now we're getting ready to shift and we're working on it right now to doing those programs virtually so people can come in um, as far as the education piece and just sharing my life and a lot of other people coming in and speaking on, you know, what it looked like from their childhood and their healing. Right. Um, I, I know that for me, when, what you just said that when I first started standing courageous, I came from the you, 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 and spoke that way because mm -hmm. I wanted everybody else to change. And over the last couple of years, I realized it started with me. So there's just been this big transformation, even inside of standing courageous. And so we're switching more towards total body health, kind of dealing with that root. And we're, and we're going to be moving virtually and coming along inside and, and having groups and stuff. So I'm so excited to see where it goes because it starts with me. And I'm excited for you. 
I have a question for you because of this, this program that you're creating, Invisible Injuries. So a lot of times I'll speak of or speak about when it comes to veterans, what we call invisible wounds. So we talk about that trauma, that brain injury, the angst, the depression, a lot of things that when service members get exposed to trauma, these invisible wounds, it creates potentially these invisible wounds. But I like to say that we should rename invisible because part of that is for community, those first responders to be able to see things that aren't so invisible, Mm -hmm. such as the behavior, such as the scars that are actually showing in behavior, right? And so I also think that word sometimes gives a pass to people and puts these blinders on saying, well, if they're invisible, I don't have to see them. Very true. Oh my goodness. So I talk about that occasionally just because I think what you're doing is so valuable. It's educating, it's educating community. And that is so critical, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're educating about invisible injuries that aren't so invisible. It's true. You know, when I do this training, I at one time was on 22 medications and had 14 different medical diagnoses ranging, ranging from like cardiac to neuro stuff to a ton of autoimmune disorders. And as I've unpacked my trauma, I am now medicine-free and I have one diagnosis and that is the traumatic brain injury from my abuse. Like all of that stuff has went away and I'm like, we're missing it. Yeah. You know, we, we want to label these kids and put them on in, in IEP programs and we want to label them as bad children. Well, maybe they're suffering because, and when they're in school, because there's not the chaos that there is at home. And right. so when you take them and put them in quiet time, they need that. And I was that way. I lived in fight or flight and my, my immune system and autoimmune system and autonomics and everything got wired wrong. Right. And it's a long process. And I'm like, how many other people out there are suffering with medical problems and they're just giving more meds and more therapy and more stuff because the other invisible injury that's not so invisible is the medical bills mount and mount and mount. Yeah. I mean, I had that to do is bankruptcy, not invisible. But yeah. <laughs> I had to do, I had to do bankruptcy from the medical costs from trying to do therapy and all these, you know, all these other treatments that now I didn't even need. Yeah. Well, and you found your process, you found something to tap into. So maybe it was the beginning of what you needed, but it wasn't what was going to really start the healing process. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause again, you turn that those fingers inward. And it's about you taking the action to Mm -hmm. really start that process of healing. And so thank you for answering that question, just because I think that when we begin to open up this whole discussion about these wounds aren't so invisible, and I'll, I'll, I'll share something with you that I've not shared with other people. When I was five or six, I was having to have another surgery. I had a hole in my small intestine when I was six months and I was being taken by ambulance from my home city to a 
another hospital because my mom and dad were divorced and there was a lot of strife. There was some child abuse going on in the home, but other people didn't know this was happening. They just did had no clue because the parent that was doing this presented as super nice and people just love this guy. Right. And so when I was being transported and before I was being told by this parent that you better make a decision, you better do this, you better do that. You know, and I was scared. I was so scared. I was, I was going through an an emergent situation because I had another blockage in my stomach. And so that's why I was being transported by ambulance to another hospital. But my parents said, you have to make the decision based on the hospital that I want you to go to. And if that comes in conflict with your other parent, too bad. Right. But I'm five Mm -hmm. at this age, I'm five years old and I'm being told and threatened and, and I read in my medical history, distressed, acting out child. Well, they had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. They only knew how I presented, right? but nobody dug any deeper to understand what was going on in the home. And I thought to myself, as I read this medical history where I was five and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so sad. This is so sad because I called children and animals innocence because a lot of times what they're being exposed to, they can't escape. Right. And that does rewire our brain. That does wire our brain. So when I was working in schools, I saw a lot of this. I sat on IEPs. I sat on SSTs and student study teams, you name it. But here's the, the thing. I started early implementing programs too with a nonprofit I worked for. And this is why I love what you're doing today because it parallels some of the things that I did and that I feel strongly about. I was in those schools and I was doing assessment to identify kids who were at high risk of abuse and neglect in those schools because it was important for me to see how these kids were functioning. So we weren't just going to place a label on these kids or just look at their behavior as acting out but understand the why and get to the root. Yes. And so thank you for standing courageous up because when you start training people to recognize those invisible wounds that aren't so invisible, those invisible injuries that aren't so invisible, then we have an awakening in society. Yes. Then we have a connection. We're not misconnecting or not connecting the dots, right? Because mm-hmm. those first responders are the ones to see and be able to, to say, okay, there is something else going on. There's something beyond what we're seeing here and just behavior. And I know that's difficult because we're limited to time and you know, we're on to the next case, the next emergent situation, but with your training and with the training that you're doing, it allows for those first responders to more quickly see and identify that there's something deeper. Yep. So thank you for doing that. So as we continue, there's something that you did recently in relation to your wellness journey. And that was, you set a goal for yourself to do a half marathon that you completed in Florida. Tell us a bit about that. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. It was so a couple of years ago, I was told, well, you, you have a very aggressive form of MS and 
that by age 50, if you're still alive, you will not be able to function and live independently. They had taken away my night driving and they had taken away being a paramedic from me. They said, you'll you'll never be a paramedic again. And so there was like this time and I felt inside of me, this isn't right. Like I, I'm not, I'm not this sick. Like I'm not sick in this way. I knew that something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. And so I, I got involved in um, some functional neurologists out of Minneapolis and this, and that was in 2019 when I started this journey and I've been there three times and it, that's where I got all the medical diagnosis taken away. Mm. And so we now know that I don't have MS and my body, like when I first went there, I could not walk a straight line and turn my head. I would fall. I was so sick as far as like motion sickness. And it, it just, it was horrible. I wanted to die. Like I, when I went out to Minneapolis, the first time I said to my family, if they can't help me, I don't want to live anymore. I I can't live like this. I mean, just, I couldn't even walk down the the street because if the ground was unlevel, the, the vision, the brain could not tell, you know, the feet to, to lift or and stuff. And so I would fall, I was falling all the time. I've worked on this and worked and worked and to got to where I was like, I'm going to finish this because I was having problems with my heart rate, my blood pressure, and just the whole autonomics. Well, I finished that half marathon because I was like, this is it. I I'm now, am I healed? No, I got a long way to go. I've got a goal for my 50th to do a full marathon. But like, it was something to tell me that I can do this. And it was kind of my, um, to my doctors, the don't tell me that I can't do something because my doctor, Dr. Reese kind of has, has told me that the brain runs the body, not the other way around. And so I made it a mental thing. And it, and I was told that half marathons and marathons are a battle of the mind. And so that's why I chose to do that because I wanted my brain to run my body and I finished it. Well, congratulations on so many different levels. Well, bravo to you, my friends. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, we've gone over so much today. We've covered a lot of ground here, but as we come to the close of the interview, my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? To trust yourself and listen to your body whether it's being around somebody who upsets that inner side of you or a situation, or even if it's your health, your body will tell you everything you need to know. You just have to pause enough to listen. Great words of wisdom. Thank you, Paula, for joining me on the core women podcast today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You can connect and follow Paula Walters on LinkedIn and on Facebook and Instagram at her website, Paula at the courageous survivor.com. Thank you for joining us on the core women podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at core women and on Twitter at core women one for more about core women and Dr. Watson visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. 
Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.